0: You're listening to Talking Buildings,
1: the podcast related to all things about the built environment. Here's your host, Paul Angus. Our guest on today's episode of Talking Buildings is Tim Spees. Tim is the global service leader for mechanical engineering an Oricon's built environment team. He also has the responsibility for Oricon's engagement with developers in his role as client director for commercial property. These two roles see him focus on both the demand and supply side of our industry. As a charter professional engineer, he's a passion for engineering that has seen him work in Europe and Australasia for the past 20 plus years. Thank you for taking the time out to join us today, Tim, and welcome to the Sibsi Australian and New Zealand podcast, Talking Buildings. Thank you, Paul. Great to be here. All right, let's get straight into it. So, Tim, we were talking earlier um, that we are in an era of unprecedented change and disruption. So can you tell me a little bit about this from your perspective? Yeah, sure, Paul. At
0: the moment, we are in the fourth industrial revolution, which is seeing technology, the internet of things, uh, disruption at a a rapid pace. And we've typically been, as engineers, been at the forefront of those technological changes. At the moment, they are happening so quickly that it's really disrupting how and what we do. And in that, it provides a lot of risk and opportunities. And I think... Mm As a, as a profession, we, we've, got a, we've got the opportunity to do some really great things. Yeah. Um, but we've also got to deal with the risks. Of course, yeah. Cool. So how do you see this impact in our industry, Tim? Well, all of the industrial revolutions have essentially been about improving our lives. So engineers have typically taken a, a lead role. Yeah. I think the difference now is that the tools that we have at our disposal are, are changing, and the way in which we use them is also changing. We're getting data coming at us yeah. at a rapid rate of knots. Um, and it's about how we deal with that that data to actually make sense of it and improve what we do
1: okay so you're talking about tools can you elaborate a little bit on these yeah look the, I
0: mean as, as I mentioned the data is is something that that we're increasingly seeing more and more data and mm-hmm. and people wanting data but it's it's the quality of the data that's important yeah because if we're going to use that data to automate or to um derive some form of outcome mm-hmm. it's got to be the right level of data so i think yeah the tools that we have really is around the data and, it, and it's the analysis and the machine learning potentially algorithms that sit alongside that and, and potentially even uh, ai yeah.
1: that, that
0: can help us do a do what we do in a, in a better way
1: okay yeah so, but we've always had tools to help us make decisions, and these are just more sophisticated than those we've been able to use before. So, what's different? Previously, we would establish rules, refine them,
0: and, and then use them to make decisions. But now, more than ever, we need to challenge these rules and, and focus more on the outcomes. Mm-hmm. Um, typically, we've set rules, and then those rules have been our guiding principles. But yeah. those rules in some of the things that we do are now are now not sufficient for us to do. To, to make sense of the world that we currently live in. Yeah. Um, and, and a new approach to design that actually considers the people that use the spaces we create as opposed to the hard and fast rules of, of the past.
1: Okay. So do you mean like a more human-centered approach?
0: Absolutely. Yeah? Um, yeah. I mean, I think we... we we want to be more considerate of the people that use the space, understand what their drivers are, mm-hmm. and not stick rigidly to to the rules, and actually focus on the outcomes of those individuals. Yeah. Um, we we recently did a thing called FixBerts Challenge, with with our built environment team, and okay. we put a post on LinkedIn around that, which is to try and look at find a problem, fix a problem, yeah, and use prototyping and innovation to try and really get to the heart of of what it is that this
1: problem that we can solve. Okay. Wow. So it reflects on your comment that the previous industrial evolution has been more about improving human life. How do you continue this trend in the current era?
0: Well, as engineers, we need to be brave and we need to challenge the status quo and challenge the norms. And and just because something was the right answer yesterday doesn't mean it's going to be the right answer for tomorrow. Of course. Um, We need to educate our stakeholders because a lot of those people don't understand exactly what it is they want. Yeah. And and if we stick blindly and rigidly to to what they think they need without questioning them, we're going to end up with the wrong outcomes. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to provide frameworks and a culture that encourage innovation and not and not have a draconian way of contractually forcing us to do certain things, but mm-hmm. actually encourage people.
1: Okay. Um. So if we look at the IT industry, the likes of Google, Facebook, Amazon, what can we learn from the way that they approach design?
0: Interestingly, they're not really client focused. That they're what you call client obsessed. They, they, <laughs> yeah. they, they don't see problems in the same way that, that traditional um, in, in the built environment mm-hmm. have seen it. They get obsessive about fixing a problem, yeah. and, and that's we could learn a lot from that in the way that we we go about our our day to day lives and and our engineering, so that it's not just about focus but obsession. Yeah, and that sounds like a bad thing, but it's actually not. <laughs> it's actually a good thing.
1: Yeah, have you got an example on that? You think?
0: Yeah, well Amazon Alexa um, for those oh, yeah. most people would, would be aware of, Amazon Alexa is a device that you talk to in your home. Mm-hmm. Now um, as I understand it a- Amazon were looking at the ways in which they could increase the amount of products they sold. Right. So uh, there's a there's a there's a friction point there if you're typing things in your phone or your iPad or your computer. Uh-huh. That happens that that's not a, typing is not a natural um, it, you have to learn that. Yep. Speaking, talking Yes, you learn it, but it, but it's, it's a natural okay. for humans. It's natural. So if you can talk to a product yep. and buy something via that methodology, yeah, you're more likely to sell more products. So they they saw there's a friction point, a mobile phone or an iPad. How do I er- eradicate that friction point? And they developed Alexa. And Alexa, um, when it first hit the market, it missed every fourth word. Now I think it's in the high 90s. So it's almost at the point where its intelligibility is at the same level of a human. Uh-huh. So that idea of obsession is yeah. w- we want to remove this point of friction. Mm-hmm. And they went to town on that, and that's what they've—that's developed. And, and Google has a very similar product in their Google Home.
1: Okay. But they've also got deep pockets and rich data. So how do we address this, do you think?
0: They do certainly have deep pockets, um, and, and the size of, of, of their R&D budgets would certainly be welcome in an engineering business. But it's about the, the ability to look at the situation and solve the problem that's important it's not necessarily the money you have it's about solving the problem and actually what that product is there to do what why are we doing what we're doing Uh and get to the heart of it and test i think it's the five question rule so you ask someone a question yeah and and after fifth questioning that when you deep you deepen that that line of thought yeah you finally get an answer that that then you can go to go to work on so it's It's that human, what is the problem, the friction point that the human using this product, is Mm -hmm. building this service, is actually facing and how do we go to to solve that particular problem?
1: Okay, so do you think we don't consider people in our designs then?
0: Um, To a certain extent we do, Mm -hmm. um, but, but we typically do it based on historical information we, we look at what's happened in the past to help us inform what, what might be in the future. Yeah. And that has worked to a point, but mm-hmm. but the changing needs of both the people that use the space, the, the types of things that they do in those spaces. Mm-hmm. So work as an example, the younger generations are, are demanding different things in an office, more flexibility, more mobility, Yeah, which Current buildings don't necessarily, don't necessarily provide. Don't address them, yeah. So can
1: you elaborate a little bit on that, you think?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, technology is a much more important part of their lives. So looking at millennials as an example, yeah. um, they the technology they've grown up with technology, they're not technology natives as such. We've got young kids and they're technology natives. They've grown up with iPads, iPhones and the like. Yeah. But, but the millennials um, need things and technology is is a really important part of their lives. Mm-hmm. And they're going to be the biggest um, group in our workforce. Yeah but I don't think we're catering f- for them in the buildings that we design. The, the deals and the d- designs that have been done are not being done by millennials. They've been done by like you and me, Paul. And yeah. and I think the, the uh, there's a, a PwC study that, I, that, I, that I'd read around the needs, the more flexibility, but also to they want to have feedback. They want to feel that their voices are being heard. So how do we engage them in a discussion around building design or better outcomes for buildings? They're much more purpose-driven. They want to see themselves invested in in the businesses that they work for and yep. the outcomes that those companies mm-hmm. um, derive so I suppose it's for me it's 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 about um, how do you engage with the the younger workforce yeah to get them to input into the future of our buildings.
1: Yeah. So you just mentioned there about the PwC study. Just for those who are listening, can you elaborate a little bit on that? What's
0: The PwC study, there's, there's been a number of others. and there's mm-hmm. One of them was the Australian Financial Review, which is about how uh, the co-working and, and impacts that that's having. Mm-hmm. Um, because people are now the sharing economy. I mean, it's it's not a new phenomenon, but mm-hmm. the way in which it impacts on our building design, the way at which it impacts on leasing deals the way it impacts on on future space utilization we're not we're seeing companies like WeWork and 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 Hub and others coming into the marketplace yeah. that's challenging the norms um, and, and the buildings that we're designing are not yet yet set up for that. Mm-hmm. So we've got to be much more sympathetic to the needs of the people using the space yep. and less about um, trying to provide rigid parameters. So Tim, do we need to change the rules? I think we do. I, I think we need to be much more considerate around the the ability to innovate and be flexible, but we need to also make sure that that's done within a reasonably robust risk framework. Mm-hmm. Um, we would have seen... Recent failures in buildings, and that's sort of I think what's what that will do is it will provide a bit more rigidity in some of the planning and some of the design solutions that are being employed. Yeah, but we can't let that change the need for us to innovate and uh-huh. and and allow us to be more flexible. And that's not just in terms of the engineering fraternity, but that's 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 cradle to grave. That's the whole mm-hmm. supply chain. Clients need to be thinking more about what it is they want out of buildings, yeah. and work more collaboratively with with the design teams. And the design teams need to be more open mm-hmm. and more and question more, um, and yeah. actually understand what this building is is being used for. What's the purpose? What's this being being hired to do? What's the job to be done? Yeah, um, I'm actually reading a book here. It's called Competing Against Luck. Um, which is around uh, by Clayton M. Christensen, which yeah. I'll give a plug to my boss here for, uh, for recommending <laughs> it. It's a really great book because it yeah. talks about how you look at what's the what's the job to be done. What is this building or this this facility being used for? What is our client mm-hmm. engaging us to do to support their needs? And, and I think that we need to be more considerate about that, but we also need to make sure that what we do is, is safe and um Energy efficient. I mean, there's another concern we've got with with the way we build buildings is is energy efficiencies.
1: Yeah. So what role do you think as engineers we have to play?
0: Look, I think we have an amazing opportunity. Um, As I started off this discussion around we're in the fourth industrial revolution and engineers have always been at the forefront of of change. Uh And we have a really great opportunity to reshape the future, rethink about how we help our people and our clients. Um, and, And as engineers, we've always been... Really good thinkers. We've been able to look at a, a situation and come up with a with a better solution. Yeah, we've probably over the last few years been constrained somewhat in in just in the way we deliver um, our our outcomes. But I think we as engineers have the skill set to actually solve problems and find problems and not necessarily sit let our clients tell us what the problem is. Yeah, but actually us find those problems ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think that's where us as engineers have got to take a bit more responsibility in in the outcomes that we are striving to achieve yeah. and not let people who probably don't have the same level of a critical thinking that we do.
1: Yeah. Okay. And do you think we're missing any skills? Uh, yeah. I, I
0: think traditionally our backgrounds have been heavily science and, and technology focused, which which is for good reason. But these days we need a greater level of softer skills to navigate the future. We need to be more... Um, compassionate more understanding more, more more questioning or more critical questioning of our, of our clients and the people that work we work with yeah um, because the data is coming at us but we need it we need a level of of human understanding about what that data is telling us mm-hmm. because essentially data in itself is is a, has a bias we only ask for certain data because that's the things we think are important Yep. but we need then a human interface to say well what does that what's that data telling us mm-hmm. what insights can we get from this data so that that's that's a softer skill so i think where we had typically focused more on the highly technical we now need to have um, more consideration of, of the softer skills.
1: So how do we as leaders in
0: this industry play a role here? Well, I think we need to support education a lot more. We, we do a lot to to actually engage with our education colleagues at, at tertiary level, mm-hmm. but I think there's a part to play at secondary level because we are seeing a lot of younger engineers or potential engineers yeah. move off into other uh, where they see more financial opportunities mm-hmm. and and different industries and I think we've got to be getting in to talk to our younger uh, students at an earlier uh, an earlier stage so that they can see the benefits that engineers and 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 people in science technology can actually provide uh-huh. the greater connection with industry I know when I was a, a youngster working um, my first couple of jobs you got a lot of connections with the subcontractors. Mm-hmm. And there was a much more collaborative approach. I think over the years, we've almost moved to a very, um, um, an us and them, and I think that's not healthy for our industry. So getting close, mm-hmm. not just with the contractors or subcontractors, but the supply chain, actually much more integrated. Um, we need to challenge our clients t- and to embrace innovation and, and not just be stuck to what they've done for the last 10 or 15 buildings that they've delivered. That that That's a role that we have to play and a role that I think, a lot of us like to play yeah but we just don't necessarily get the opportunity to do that uh-huh um we just look at outcomes rather than processes so we typically follow a pretty formulaic approach to deliver a, a, a design but we, we we sometimes forget well what what's what are we trying to achieve here and we had a just discussion really just about education mm-hmm. people might be doing some engineering developing a, a cooling solution or a hydraulic design mm-hmm. for an education facility but ultimately what that does, that space that's being designed is to, is to educate people, yep. educate people, the future leaders of our country, the future leaders of our world, yeah. but we forget that when we're doing some design calculations. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm trying to get. If people saw what it is that we are trying to achieve, so where do we want to get to? Yeah. Healthcare is another example. If we're designing healthcare, ultimately mm-hmm. that that building is there to provide an improvement to the community, help sick people, Help diagnose people, support families, mm-hmm. but we get stuck in the doing it, some design calculations. So that's what I'm saying. Focus on the outcomes that we're trying to achieve, Yeah. and not result, necessarily yeah. follow this formulaic process to get there. But actually, what is it that this building is doing, yeah. and how do we do it in a in a better way? Okay. Um, learn from other industries. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing that as, we're, as leaders we need to look at what has happened in the IT space. Yeah, this obsession. Um, I know sometimes people get, a, the obsession is not a positive, but in the case of our clients and the problems we're trying to solve, yeah. let's just not scratch the surface, let's get deep, deep dive to understand what it is really that
1: they're, that they're trying to do. Have you got any examples of learning on that, Tim?
0: Yeah, I, I think one of the the... Lessons I've learned and starting to understand a bit more about is how we experiment more in engineering. And and when I mean experiment, I don't mean sitting with a couple of test tubes Uh um, like you did in chemistry class at school, (laughs) but actually looking at some ideas around how we could better solve our clients' problems in a a, a non-traditional way. So experiment, fail fast, fail often, Mm -hmm. um, is probably, I'm not the first person to coin that phrase, but giving people permission to try something our clients also want to have better outcomes they want innovation yeah but they're also working within rigid frameworks what i'm i think the examples really is how do we how do we help our clients get somewhere that they want to get to but in a different way and actually test the the thinking with them early and they might say yes that's a great idea they might say no we but we unless we try yeah um, because we want to encourage our our younger staff, our younger engineers coming into our industry, yeah. that it is actually alright to question and challenge. Of course, um, and and to continue iterating on that.
1: But what about what about the cost? Everyone's like sort of you know fear orientated as well, isn't it? So you know if you're trying to experiment, it's obviously going to be a little bit of time there to. Look, that 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 is a, a challenge.
0: Yeah. Um, we work in a very commercial world, but if we keep doing the same old same old, we're not going to get any any better outcomes. Mm-hmm. So, if we d- really are to innovate and to get an an out- outcome that's is better for everybody, we, we can't just continually follow the same old same old. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, and it does co- cost money, and I'm not suggesting we take on the the Google approach where a day a week you're allowed to have some Google time. Yeah, um, because what that did. There was, I think, there was hundreds of thousands of prototypes or or, or ideas that had, had been tested to a certain level, but just been thrown in the bin. Mm-hmm. So what we want to do is be able to test things, but within a, in, in a framework. Yeah, we like to have frameworks as mm-hmm. engineers. So it's giving people some permissions, but giving them some guidance. So what yeah. is it we're trying to achieve? Mm-hmm. And let's test some ideas within certain parameters to get a better outcome. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying here, yeah, and yeah. and that and that does. We're time, right? We're most of us working in a, in a time-related business, so it's yeah. about our time. So if you give people some time, mm-hmm. if people are more engaged with the work they're doing, yeah. they're more likely to provide a better outcome or, or a better solution for our clients. So Of course, yeah. Uh, I, I don't necessarily think it's a question of cost, it's some time.
1: Yeah.
0: And if people are really engaged with this, mm-hmm. they'll spend their own discretionary time. Um, that's what we want. Of course, yeah. The other thing is is the is looking at an experiment with, with, around the property industry, and the property industry is is a, is a is an industry that's been operating in a very similar way for for quite a long time. There's there's not lo- there's not been a lot of um, disruption in that industry. Mm-hmm. We still leasing deals are still done the same way. We develop design briefs in a very similar way. We yep. design and construct buildings in a very similar way. Mm-hmm. Yes, there's some technology overlays, but yep. we, we we have followed a very similar path for, for many years. So I've um, looking at how we might test that theory and look at doing uh, delivering a building in a different way so how would we um, provide services that actually match the tenant's needs both mm-hmm. now and in the future yeah. and, and and challenge some of the briefs or the the design parameters that buildings are being measured against um, that's that's something that I, I think we, we we've got a really good opportunity. Um, because everyone's looking for a little bit of something different. Yeah. So why do you think that? Um, Look, again, I think that in terms of why we want to test this idea around a different way of delivering buildings or different way of servicing is that people want – it's about the human experience. It's about what does this space do for the people in it? Mm -hmm. How do these people, whether they're working in a healthcare facility, whether they're working in in a school, whether they're working in an office, Mm -hmm. how can they – do their jobs in a better way, be more engaged, have a better environment to work in. Um, If we follow the long-held rules around temperatures and allowances in in, uh, cooling and and heating, we're going to get the same outcomes. So actually, if you test some ideas Mm -hmm. with servicing arrangements, with environmental conditions, Mm -hmm. then my belief is that you're going to get a different outcome Okay. but technology needs to work and that's that, that's part of where we want to we, we want to also look at how technology plays a role mm-hmm. in in those outcomes but it but it should be behind the scenes so to speak it, it's it's there to enable not there to to be the reason why we do things and, and you look at say what what the, the some of the spaces that we provide typically are pretty vanilla
1: mm-hmm.
0: how do we provide uh, what we need now but but also when these buildings are 10 years old how do we still make them relevant mm-hmm so what does that mean for us? Well, we, we're living in a period of unprecedented change and and this presents us with a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for us to, to shape the future. We need to grab, it, grab the bull with both horns here and, and not wait for others to, to disrupt what we do. I mean, you look at the examples in, in the tax industry or the, the, the hotel industry, Airbnb and, and Uber... We don't want to be that business or the the group of people that are disrupted. We want to be the ones that are other the disruptors. Mm-hmm. So what we've got to be doing is is understanding what it is that where where we can influence where these um, the opportunities that present themselves where we can align ourselves with a better way of doing it and actually use the the skills that we've got as engineers mm-hmm. to to get to a point where there is. A better way right and uh-huh. thinking differently about the way we do things and embracing change I mean change is inevitable yeah it's just it's happening a lot quicker than it has done for for, for many many years so okay. how do
1: we get in front of that just before we finish Tim I can ask you 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 um uh, presented in our uh, recent seminar series over in Auckland I was just wondering how your what your experiences were and what your key takeaways were from that
0: yeah thanks, Paul. I just got back actually this morning from from Auckland, so yeah. I sat in the tarmac for an hour and a half it was fantastic. <laughs> so my experience this morning wasn't great. yeah, um, my experience yesterday in Auckland was that we have a very uh, an amazing group of young and senior engineers in our industry. Yeah, what we've probably got to do is harness that energy in a better way so we had some discussion i presented on smart precincts intelligent precincts we had some discussion on on the future there was some discussion around data cyber security mm-hmm. i think it's a great great series yeah. um something we've really been proud of and we're actually presenting one again in in brisbane so yeah i'm looking forward to that uh-huh. um but what i did also learn is that if we work together more often and we discuss and debate and collaborate i think as a profession. And as a community, we're going to be a much better place. Mm-hmm. We typically, on projects, it's quite competitive. But if you actually step back and think, well, what is it we could offer together? Yeah, that's greater than the sum of the the, the two parts. Uh-huh. Um, I know in 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 some part it, collaboration is is pretty much commonplace, but mm-hmm. a lot of the times we don't. So I think one of the things I took away from it is that we're building up a really strong network of people that understand. That have different views that can get to a, a different place, but mm-hmm. together you, you're much better than 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 if you did it alone. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm looking forward to uh, to tomorrow, and then we've got uh, next year to consider. So, of course, looking forward to it. the next series. Yeah, <laughs> I think we, I think we're a good topic next year.
1: Yeah, definitely. Alrighty, thank you very much for your time, Tim. It's been a pleasure talking to you today. You provided some fantastic insights and key takeaways for our listeners. We'd like to thank you. Thanks, Paul. Been uh, great to be here and. Um, yeah, I hope we we'll do it again sometime. Cheers. I'm Paul Angus. Thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to Talking Buildings. You've been listening to Talking Buildings, a
0: Sibsy Australia and New Zealand production. You can download previous episodes or subscribe to future ones by searching Sibsy Talking Buildings. That's C I B S E on your favourite podcast app.